So real quickly, before I get going, two things. Number one, um, I just want to personally say, after last week, um, how much David Stokes has meant to me the last few years. And I'm not going to get emotional about it. I don't do that kind of thing. But I didn't get a chance to say it. And I don't know why you're laughing. It's rude. Um, but uh, Dave, who's not in here right now, is that correct? He stepped out, sort of like last week when I wasn't here. Anyway, um, your friendship has meant the world to me, and uh, your support of, of me and everything that's going on at this church. It's uncommon um, to see a minister as humble as David Stokes is, and okay, I need to be done now, but he's just uh, he's a real blessing to this church and to me. So, second thing uh, is, as a teacher, sometimes one of the benefits is... Um, Kids that you grow attached to and you have in class and they go out of their way and do something nice for you. Like at Christmas time, uh, the Salkies used to always get me like a gift card um, to a restaurant and then Jenny would go during the day and use it and I wouldn't. <laughs> but it was always a fun thing. And then this year, I've got a student by the name of Blake Robinson. Blake's not here this morning. Is that correct? He's not here. He's sleeping? Yeah. It's, yeah. Who needs church? Anyway... Um, <laughs> So Blake, if you don't know what Blake looks like, I was going to have him stand up. This is Blake, all right? We're familiar with Blake. You've seen him walking around. Blake got me a gift, and he had it in a really nice package, uh, and I opened it up in front of the entire class. You know what the gift was? The gift was a pair of socks that have Blake's face all over them. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because if the sermon this morning is just a little bit better than normal, yeah, see that? It's going to be top-notch today. All right, so let me start off here. I think I've said this before. I think I've mentioned this before to you all. I'm not a big fan of mission statements. I see them as a waste of time. And I know that there's a lot of business people who are in here who, who believe that, that mission statements make all the difference. But to me, and I've said this before, I think they're hokey. I think companies waste a lot of time putting employees in a room and paying them to sit there for hours and come up with a statement about what they do when no one that's actually doing it in the business is going to pay any attention to the statement. They're just going to keep doing what they've always done. I don't really like mission statements. However, I was reading something about the church and the church's mission statement. The idea of a mission statement is this is the direction that we're going. So when you stop and think about what direction is the church going, I think I need to point out to you that when it comes to the church, you and I don't get to sit in a room and come up with a mission statement. What we're all about here has been pre-announced. What we are doing here and what we are to be doing here has already been announced to the world. If you got your Bibles, you can flip to Matthew chapter 28. That's where I want to be today as we kind of kick off where we're going to be in 2023. But Matthew chapter 28, I know that you know the Great Commission. I know the Great Commission. I've read it a number of times. People, a lot of you can probably recite the Great Commission. But there's something in the Great Commission that in preparation for where we're going this year, it stood out at me like a sore thumb. There is one word in there that I want to focus on. So I want to read this together. And by the way, when I say together, I don't mean that weird thing where everybody reads it at the same time with that low, weird voice. You know what? Am I the only one that's creeped out by that? Feel like I'm in a cult? We're not doing that. You listen, I read it, okay? Matthew chapter 28 specifically, I want to look at verses 18 through 20. So Jesus has all of his followers there, and Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember, I, I will get through this, uh, but remember we've said there's a difference between authority and power. 
Okay, the NFL players have power, but the NFL officials have the authority. They may be smaller and slower, maybe a little bit bigger, pudgier, but they, when they throw a flag, all those bigger, stronger, tougher guys stop because they have the authority. And Jesus is saying, there's a lot of things in this world that seem like they have a lot of power. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It belongs to me. It's been given to me. Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know, but when I read it, I just, I'm, I'm already a really keyed up because this is really powerful stuff. Now, Jerome has its own mission statement. I say this after trouncing the idea of mission statements. I apologize now to the elders. Thank you for continuing to give me a paycheck. But anyway, Jerome has its own mission statement, but I want you to notice the mission statement of Jerome, and I think any other congregation that has a mission statement, it's built around this. The concept of winning and building and sending disciples for Jesus, that's what the Great Commission is. To win, to go out and, and convert them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. We're going to build them up in the faith and we're going to send them to go make more disciples. That mission statement is predicated upon the Great Commission. So my question this morning and for the year is this. How are we doing with that? I mean, we've, we spent two years ago, we spent talking about uh, what the Bible, the main storyline of the Bible, the authority of Scripture and the reliability of Scripture. And last year we were looking at being like Jesus, thinking like him and acting like him and then being like him. This year, how are we doing with the mission that we've been given? And I mean that collectively and I mean that personally. This last uh, couple weeks ago I met with Jason and he told me, very exciting news, uh, this year we're going to be instating performance reviews, uh, so I will have my performance checked. I'm very eager about that. Uh, what I'm interested to know is if this guy's going to be as bribable as Stokes was. Whenever Dave would come up, Dave would come up with some harebrained idea that I didn't like and all I would need to do is say, you feeling McAllister's? Boom. He's totally off the subject. We're on the sweet tea, and I never have to hear about it again. I don't know if Jason's going to be like that, but we're going to see. But I got to thinking about this idea of a performance review, and what if we did that for everybody here? Every member of this congregation, or, or at least regular attender of this congregation, if we pulled you in one by one and asked you, if the mission is to win, build, and send, how are you doing with that? What if we did that? Maybe we don't even call you into a private room. We bring you up here on stage individually. We do it upright. I'll do the interviews, obviously. St. Peter, right? All right. So I do the, that's blasphemous probably. But anyway, so I do the interviews. And if you do well, like you prove to us that you're really winning and building and sending, and you've got a list of all these people that you've, then you get to go to the right side of the stage that is all decked out in white, and there's angelic music, and there's sheep walking around. And then if you do really poorly, like you're not doing jack for the kingdom, then you go over there where the smoke machines are, and a bunch of goats are walking around. I really think that this could do wonders for the attendance here at Jerome. But I'm... I'm being serious. If we did this, we're all parts of the body of Christ, are we not? Every single one of us is a part of the body of Christ, which means we have all been tasked with this mission that Jesus is giving us. He says, I will be with you to the very end of the age. The age is still going, which means his disciples, that's us, we're being called to do this. This is our mission, so how are we doing with it? How are we doing collectively? The body here at Jerome. 
How are we doing with this mission? And personally, how are you doing with that personally? First of all, how are we doing with it collectively? Can I just answer for us, since I'm the one with the microphone? How do I think we're doing? I think we could do better. I'll just leave it at that. I think that we could do better with this mission. And how are we doing with it personally? Well, I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that for me personally. Winning, I could do a lot better, a lot better. And building, I guess I'll find out at my performance review how I'm doing building uh, the, the body of Christ. But sending, I know I could do better with all of these things. I look at this as my mission. If this is what I have been tasked with while I'm here on planet Earth, I don't think I'm doing the best at these things. And I'm, I'm going to suggest, and maybe this is wrong of me, but I bet I'm not alone. I bet that for a lot of you, the thought of having to testify in front of everybody in this congregation how you're doing, winning, building, and sending servants and disciples for Jesus, you're not really comfortable with that because you don't feel like you got a lot to look to and point to and say, I'm doing great. Can I tell you why I think that is? Can I tell you why I think that I'm not doing as well as I could and you feel like you're not doing as well as you could? By the way, i got to give you a side note here. I am giddy about this. Like, it is hard for me to contain my excitement. And maybe that makes me a nerd. I don't know. But I am really, really, about three weeks before, um, before the new year. So it's like middle of December. I start reading and, and preparing this stuff. And this stuff in the, in the Great Commission. And I'm seeing this. And it's just like clicking. And all the cylinders are firing. I am really, really thinking this could be something. I really hope that where we are going to go this year together, if you'll stick it out with me. I think it'll revolutionize how we handle the, the word of truth. And that's what we're told in scripture, to see to it that you are correctly handling the word of truth. Because when you correctly handle it, winning and building and sending, it's going to go hand in hand. I think it can revolutionize this, how we evangelize, how we win and build people up in the Lord and send them for, the, for, for Jesus. I want to show you a clip. I always look for, uh, you probably get annoyed by this, I always look for like um, real life things or stories or analogies to try to make a point, and sometimes those are better than others. I don't know if this one will work or not, but one of my favorite Bible teachers is Dr. Tony Evans. I don't know if any of you listen to Tony Evans. I'm sure uh, there are theological differences I would have with him, but I, there's very few people that I love to listen to, like Dr. Evans. So one of his messages from years ago, uh, there's a clip in there where he tells a story. And you're going to think, how in the world does this relate? It completely relates. It's exactly what I'm trying to say. So if we could have the clip, let her roll. When I was in New York, I was uh, at the Marriott Marquis Hotel. I had to check out. And so I checked out of the Marriott Hotel and I had to catch a plane because I had to speak in Chicago. And so I came to Chicago, came downtown Chicago, went into the Hilton Hotel cold outside like it like it's always in Chicago it was cold outside in the middle of winter the hawk was biting and and so I uh, I took my bags up to this high floor I put my key in the the door click click red light click click red light click click red light the door wouldn't open now I'm evangelically ticked off because it's cold outside. I done walked up all these, uh, gone up all these floors, and now the key doesn't work. So I took the elevator back downstairs, and I went to the, to the registration desk, and I said, excuse me. He said, I said, this key doesn't work. He said, excuse me, sir, that key doesn't go to this hotel. <laughs> See, I was using my Marriott key that I hadn't thrown away in a Hilton lock. 
So you get what happens here. He's using his Marriott key in a Hilton hotel, and it's not unlocking the door. It's not doing what he wants it to do. Bingo. All right, this is my analogy. Maybe one reason that you and I are not having the success that we want to have in winning and building and sending and following the Great Commission is because we are using the wrong keys. Jesus has given us his authority, but we are passing on that authority, that key. Forget the Hilton key, and instead I'm going to use the world's keys to try to open and change the hearts of men. I want to use worldly authority. I want to use worldly power. I want to get in positions of authority that I can influence people. And I want to lead this social movement and have this social change. And that's the way I'm going to do it. We are using worldly keys and then sitting here wondering why we're not unlocking the hearts of men. I think that's exactly what's going on. We are trying persuasion and we're trying programs and we're trying preaching. We're even using guilt to try to win people to Jesus and we're having very limited success. And yet Jesus is standing here in Matthew 28. It's what I'm seeing. It's why I get really excited about this. And he's saying, what are you doing? You're not going to get in that door using your Hilton key. You got to use the Marriott key. Did I just reverse those? I don't know. I'm going to do it throughout the entire message. So whatever. You get the point. You're using the wrong keys. Look closely at what Jesus says in that text. He uses that word. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So you're going to have all of these people. And I think of politicians who love to strut around and believe they have all of this worldly power. I can do this, and I have this authority, and I'll make this law, and you'll have to do this if I do that. All these people in the world, or maybe they lead a business, they have a lot of money. They think they've got the power, and Jesus is saying it's a, it's a, it's a charade, it's a facade. I have all authority, okay? All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. And what's the very next thing that he says? All authority has been given to me, so what? Therefore, go and make disciples. Do you see the connection there? I have all the authority, and therefore I am using this authority to commission you. I'm giving you, I'm transferring my authority to you to go out into the world with my key and unlock the hearts of men and change the world. That's what he's saying right here. At the heart of our mission is the authority of Jesus Christ. That is at the heart of what we're doing, the heart of this. It's not fellowship, and it's not programs, it's not charity. Look, you can have all of those things without Jesus. Those are all worldly things. There are great fellowships that exist where you can have a sense of belonging. And there are great programs out there that will entertain you and keep you uh, busy in your life here on earth. And there are great charities that exist out there that you can give to other people and do all kinds of wonderful things. But if this is how you're trying to win people to Jesus, you're using the Hilton key. And you need to use the Marriott key. That stuff isn't going to cut it. That's worldly. And it's not the key that we've been given. If we have become his disciples, then we have been given the authority of Jesus. We speak with the authority of Jesus. Have you paused to consider? I don't proclaim the supremacy of Christ. I don't talk about the perils of rebellion against God based on my own opinion. I mean, what good is that, my opinion? It's not any better than your opinion. It's not going to get you very far. I am speaking as a commissioned disciple of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm standing on his authority when I proclaim this to you. This isn't about me, world. This is about him. It's about the king. Now, Jesus has done this before. Keep your finger in Matthew 28. Flip over to Luke, the ninth chapter. You'll see what I'm talking about. Luke chapter 9. You can really look at the first six verses. I'm just going to look at the first three. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus had called the twelve together. So he has a lot of followers. These are his disciples. 
He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, look at what he says, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. So everything that the world would say that you need, Jesus is saying you don't need that. Why? You have my authority. I'm sending you out. You're fine. That's what I think he's saying to us as well. He sends them out with the message of the kingdom with his authority. And then he does the same thing for us in Matthew chapter 28. With, you know, minus a few of the gifts there. I mean, I'm not curing diseases and whatnot. He's doing the exact same thing. Sending out his disciple. In other words, discipleship is about more than just Bible studies. It's about more than just teaching people the word of God. Is that important? Of course it is. But you can learn a lot about a book and not be changed by it. Discipling somebody means doing something more than that. It's the exercise of Christ's authority that he has vested in his disciples. I'm telling you, and maybe I'm all weird, but I think this is revolutionary. I think this changes everything. Here's where knowing history helps. I'm not going to bore you. At least I'm going to try not to. But this is where it really helps if you know a little bit about history. The term that Jesus is using here for making disciples, the word is mathetes. And that is a very familiar term to everybody that would have heard it. Okay, it's a term that people used all the time. Can I give you the most obvious replica of this where, where people would, would have understood it? It's exactly what the Greeks did. All right, here comes the history. So pretend like you're interested. You have these kingdoms that rule the world. Are there people that live out in backwater rural areas that never even know what's going on? Sure. But in the known world, Babylon rules the world for a period of time. And then the Medo-Persian Empire comes and conquers them, and they rule the known world for a period of time. And then little Alex the Great, remember Alexander? He comes in, and he conquers the Medes and the Persians, and now the Greeks rule the world. You with me so far? So the Greeks are ruling the known world, but while the Greeks are in charge, the Greeks have philosophers and one of the philosophers was Plato and Plato starts philosophizing and he comes up with these ideas on life the idea of a metaphysical and a physical there's a spiritual kingdom and a, and a physical kingdom and he has all of these ideas and that would have just stayed in philosopher land where most of us don't live we live in the real world so Plato is up there on a hill talking to all of these really smart people the reason it didn't stay on the hill is because he had a little protege named Aristotle and Aristotle says, everybody needs to implement these ideas. Everybody needs to understand them. So Aristotle comes up with a system of logic, and he invents these things called academies. Are we familiar with academies? Because those still exist. And what was the purpose of the academy? To take Platonic thought and teach it in a way that everybody could grasp it. That's the Greek worldview. We call it the Hellenic worldview. It is taught in Aristotle's academies. All right, you still with me? Some of you, are your eyes are glossing over. Miller, that was a yawn. It's outrageous. All right, stay with me. So you have Aristotle, who has these academies, teaching Platonic thought to all of these people, churning out what? Mathetes. People that know the worldview of Greece. And guess what happened? That continued even after Rome came and conquered the Greeks. So you remember, you had Babylon, and then the Medo-Persians, and then the Greeks. Well, they only last for a while before Rome comes in with an iron fist and destroys the Greeks. But even though Rome, listen, this is big, even though Rome is sitting on the throne, and Rome has all of this power, what's happening in those academies? What's happening in those academies is they're still teaching Greek worldview. Greek, have you ever noticed that the Romans and the Greeks have the same gods? They just call them different names. 
Have you ever noticed? You had Zeus. That was the Greek god. The Romans come in. They keep the same god. They just change it to a planet's name, Jupiter. And then you have Poseidon, who was the god of the sea for the Greeks. And then what did the Romans do? They named him Neptune. Even for some, they were too lazy to even rename it. Apollo is the same God for both. In other words, the Greek worldview, because of the disciples that continued to be made in the academies, the Greek worldview continues to persist even though the power structure had changed. I'm like the only one that's really into this, but I'm so excited right now. So what you have is all of these Roman doctors and lawyers and teachers and future leaders and thinkers and rulers, they are learning the Greek worldview. So even though the power belongs to the Roman authorities, the culture was dominated by Greece. Greek culture dominated because they had made mathetes, because they had made disciples. Rome's military, from an outward appearance, Rome has all of the control and all of the authority. But Greek culture continued to dominate. That's it. That's what Jesus is saying. The world is looking to all of these places where worldly power exists. And Jesus is saying, let them. You don't need to have anything to do with that. You make disciples. And you will go into every corner of the world, every corner of the culture. And you're undermining it. You're changing it from within. That's the transference of the worldview that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 28. It's what he has called us to. And we're screwing it up. We're screwing it up because we're not thinking. He's telling his disciples, this is about more than just converting someone. You're taking truth and you're embedding it in the hearts of men. And then the men and women will go out into every corner of society and culture and they'll change it. They'll change it from underneath. Regardless of who is sitting in systems, that's what Paul means. Look at what he writes to the Ephesians. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. And what is the church? Look at what the church is. It's the body, the fullness of him. The church is the implementation mechanism for his authority. And what will the church do? Fills everything in every way. We will disseminate his authority into every area of society. What is so good? That's just amazing to me. Now, why isn't this happening? If that's what it is, if that's the system, and it's brilliant, it's mind-boggling, it's earth-changing, why isn't it happening? Because I think we're too enamored by the world. We're looking at worldly power and saying, ah, that's what we need. We want to make a difference. That's what we need. Look at the disciples as models of this, right? Multiple times in Scripture, Jesus acknowledges his followers. He has a lot of followers, but he empowers his disciples. Right there in Luke 9, he had a lot of followers, but he empowered his disciples to go out and to do this. And he has called us in Matthew 28 to be his disciples, winning and building and sending other disciples. He has a lot of followers, but he wants to commission and empower his disciples. So we go back to the original question. If we aren't having the impact and the influence that we want, if we're not fulfilling the mission as we should, maybe that's because we're more of this than we are that. And maybe that's the first thing that needs to change. Maybe we must become his disciples in order to make disciples. And here's what a disciple of Jesus is not. A disciple of Jesus is not swayed by the world's fads or trends. We just don't care. We don't have time for it. Oh, well, we got to put this black square on our Instagram because that's what the world's doing. We got to have this, we got to have this hashtag that we're using. Look, I got to make sure I'm keeping up with the world so that they understand that I'm hip and I know what's going on. We're not swayed by that. 
We're too busy for that. We're not entertained by the world's antics and everything that gets the world all exercised. We're not desirous of the world's attention. Man, let me tell you something. When you are standing on the authority of Christ and proclaiming the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the world's going to pay attention. Now, it may not be the attention that you want, but we aren't out for the world's attention. We are not lured by the world's affections. That's not what we're interested in. What are we after? We're after those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the only audience that actually matters. A disciple of Jesus has great compassion for a lost world and an urgency to proclaim him. We're not worried about fitting in with the world. We're worried about going into the world and saving them with the knowledge and the power of the resurrected Lord. That's what we're about. A disciple is eager to bring every area of life under the rule of Christ to whom it belongs. Not for the sake, this is where we mess up. Not for the sake of having or wielding power because it's not our power. And that's where we get all confused. This isn't about boasting or exerting control over others, ourselves, because it's not us. We wear a different name. It is not our name. I'm going to do it one more time. We're going to go back to Tony. We used him once. We're going to use him again. Totally different story, but it's going to make this point. Tony is assisting me in the message this morning. Roll it. My son Anthony, who's our singer in the family, re reminded me of this, uh, and I remembered this, when he first started his uh, gospel singing career. Uh, he was a poor singer, just kind of getting his feet wet. He said, Dad, would you pick me up from the airport? Because, uh, you know, I, you know I, 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 need, I don't have a, the way to do this. Could you pick me up? I said, yeah, give me the information. So I went to pick him up from the airport. Now, this was before all of the different things that have changed due to 9-11. And, and so I went to the gate to pick him up. It's about the third person off the plane, and we're now walking to baggage claim. On our way to baggage claim, halfway, I stop. I just stop on our way there, and I look at him. And I said to him, oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And he started laughing. <laughs> now the reason he was laughing and he knew what I was talking about is because in order to be the third person off the plane, you in first class. That's the only way you get to be the third person off the plane. You got to be in first class. But he didn't have first class ticket, he didn't have first class money. What he had was my name. <laughs> See, his name is Anthony Evans Jr. So I knew what he had done. He had gone up there and said, my name is Tony Evans, Anthony Evans. Uh, I'm an executive platinum flyer, and I would like to know if there are any upgrades available. The lady said, oh, thank you, Dr. Evans. We're glad to have you follow flying with us today. And he got bumped up, but it wasn't bumped up because of who he was. It was bumped up because he knew somebody and he shared the name. Know where this is going. Yes? Yes, that's it. We share the name, but too many of us wear the name only and we're unable to exercise his authority. In other words, we have the name, but we aren't enjoying the benefits that come with wearing the name of Jesus because we aren't his disciples. We can't make disciples because we aren't truly disciples ourselves. Why? We have exchanged the keys of the kingdom for the keys of the world. We are too enamored by the world, and why have we done that? I think there's an answer, and you got to understand something. I know you know me. 
And so I know that you know how guilty I am of this. And I know there's going to be a number of you that are sitting there saying, he's preaching this to us. He's the one that's been the most guilty of this. I get it. I know that, okay? I'm acknowledging that before you. I'm not pretending that I was any different or that I was somehow better than this. Worldly power seems a lot stronger to us than, than this authority that's being promised. I'm sorry, I know that sounds blasphemous, but worldly power to us seems like it's going to have a lot more influence than this stuff right here. Culture is so powerful, and Christian influence has been waning in recent years. Christianity isn't well-respected anymore. You hold to Christian worldview and, and beliefs, you're a bigot in a lot of corners of society. And so to reclaim what we see as being lost, what have we done? We've exchanged kingdom authority for, which is discipleship, for political power. We have been so focused on political power and worldly power, that's how we're going to solve this problem. That's how Christianity is going to get back in, in authority and power. We thought it would be a lot more effective. That's how we're going to do it. We put all of our eggs into the basket of politics and social movements and, 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 and cultural movements, all of that stuff. We've believed to ourselves that if we elect the right people who will do the right things and they'll pass the right laws, then we'll get all of this back. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that Christians shouldn't be diligent in who they vote for. I'm saying that we understand that's not where the solution's going to be found. You are responsible to Christ for the way that you behave in the voting booth. I'm not, I'm not arguing about that, but I'm saying if you think that that is how you return Christianity to power, then you're messed up. You're using a Marriott key instead of the Hilton key. I just reversed it again, baby, but you know what I'm saying. You're using the wrong key to try to solve the problem. What have we gotten for it? All of this effort to create these social movements and the church becomes a, a massive voting block, what have we gotten for that? Very little, except a lot of resentment from the world. And why not? Well, you think about what we're doing. If we get in positions of authority, then we can pass laws that will make you obey the rule of Christ. Is that conquering somebody's heart? No, if anything, it's going to probably harden their heart towards the kingdom. They were trying to use worldly keys and then wondering, well, why isn't this working? Why aren't people really flocking towards Christianity? And that's how we sound when we say it. Why am I so excited about all of this? Because there is a better way. There's a better way, and it's being unlocked right there in the Great Commission. I don't want us to waste another second chasing after and trying to hijack the world's cheap imitation of power and authority. I don't want that. It's useless. It's going nowhere. So let's stop spending our time doing that. I want to build a much bigger kingdom. I want to build a kingdom that is not of this world. And I want the authority of Christ to do that. I want to exercise the authority that Jesus has vested in me as his disciple. Not to rule from the, from the thrones of men, but to use his authority to conquer the hearts of men. So that Jesus takes his rightful place. Now, can it be effective? Can this work? This is where we think no, and that's why we chase after political power. Can it be effective, this model, in a culture that is so overrun with ungodliness? Isn't our culture too far gone for this model to work? Have you traveled since 9-11? Anybody traveled before 9-11 and then after 9-11? There's a big difference in the way that we travel. What are we now? This is 22 years after 9-11, and what do you still have to do? When you go to the airport, you still have to take your shoes off. You have to put your hands against the wall and be strip searched by somebody. That it, Anyway, and um, you have to empty out your M&Ms and be shamed at how many applesauce packets that you put in your luggage and all of those things. Maybe it's just me. But you have to go through all of this. You can't walk your loved one to the gate of the plane any longer or meet them as they get off the plane. You've got to stay back on the other side of security. And why? 
Why is it so much different now? Because 19 men shut down the most powerful nation in history. That's just the way that it is. 19 men, it didn't matter how strong the United States was, how powerful we were. 19 guys doing what they did completely altered and changed the way of life for the most privileged people of his, in history. 22 years later, it's still the same way. <laughs> we're so strong and we're so powerful. What good did that worldly power do? 19 men shut it down. And they did it all in the name of a faulty belief system. So let me go back to the question. What are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ capable of doing? Oh, but these systems are so strong and so powerful. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us his authority. What can man do? What can we accomplish in impacting culture for the glory of God with the authority of Christ Jesus? I mean, the sky's the limit in that. Listen, we live in a day where everybody wants to come out. Everybody's having a coming out party. It's celebrated and it's applauded. I want this, for lack of a better term, to be our coming out year. Not to get in the face of people and say, oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus. No, that's not what I mean. Go public in declaring our allegiance to Christ Jesus in every detail of life. And I'm telling you, the difference is going to be obvious to them. And why? They're going to see a difference because all of the other coming out, it's about self. It's about me, is it not? Think of all the things, being true to myself and all of that. It's about self-love and self-focus and self-indulgence and self-worship. Self-fulfillment, self-actualization, that's all it is. But ours is totally different. It is an earth-shattering, it's a paradigm-shifting, it's a worldview-altering proclamation to a world that is obsessed with itself. What are we saying? This life, it isn't about me and it's not about you. It's about the king is who it's about. So come with me and learn this new way and follow him. And I guarantee you, if you do, you'll find a better way. I'm telling you, Christians, it's right there. And to the degree that we are not successful in what we're trying to do, we're using the wrong key. So what happens if in 2023 we start using the right one? Can we give it a whirl? Saying to the world, <laughs> I don't want to overtake you from earthly thrones. I want to teach you a new way. And you know what you're going to find? It's better. It's better than anything you've ever seen or imagined. Father God, I thank you for this new way. This new way that you have christened, that you have shown. Forgive us, Father, for trusting in the hands of men, trusting in our own exercise of authority and power, trusting that our own cunning and wisdom and ideas and cleverness and programs and charity and all of that stuff is going to somehow change the world. You've told us how to change the world and it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with transferring your authority to a watching world. So Father, be with us throughout this year. Change us, shape us, use us as your disciples. And we give you the praise and the honor for it. We pray all this in the name of your Son our Savior, Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Maybe God's already been working on your heart and you're ready to join. You're ready to join the movement as a disciple of Jesus. This is your opportunity. We do it every week. You can come down as we sing this song. You can give your life to Christ, be baptized into him, and start a new life as a disciple. Or maybe you're already a disciple, but you want to join this body and move forward with us. This is your time to come forward. If you have a decision to make, would you come as we stand and sing?